When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go piss for the following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Almighty God, King of all the earth, that you should desire the children of Adam, the sons and daughters of Adam, after all that we have done, What great love, what great compassion. Thank you, Jesus, that you would even give yourself a new name, Jesus. Thank you. Tonight, would you unfold this glorious truth that our hearts could understand it. I pray in your holy name. Amen. The message tonight is entitled, The Trigger That Causes God's Absence. Revelation, the third chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 14. To the angel at the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I can't think of anything more exciting than to have Jesus come and knock on my door. And to go to the door, not knowing whether it was going to be a salesman or a neighbor, And open the door and find Jesus standing there. And to have Jesus say, I've come to eat with you. To come into my home. And to sit down at the table with me. And to break bread together. What's happening while we're breaking bread together? We're talking with one another. I'm hearing what he has to say. On the Emmaus Road, when he went in and 
sat down with them, their hearts were burning from what he had said to them. Their eyes were opened. They were enlightened. They could comprehend what was happening. So what would cause him not to come or his knock not to be heard? Simply, if the person does not understand their condition, they cannot hear Jesus knocking. Now, one of the struggles I've had, no, let me rephrase that. The greatest struggle of my life has been the absence of hearing the voice of God. Not being able to hear or understand what his will is and always guessing what I should do next. Trying to do my best, but I'm basically on my own to figure out what's next. So I read the scriptures and I I try to get some principles out of it so that I know how to live. Now, praise God, I don't do that now. The Lord speaks, I hear. He speaks in my spirit. If my spirit is not picking it up, he may even say it verbally. God speaks. The problem is we're not able to hear. We can't hear the knock on the door. Why not? Jesus gives us very specific reasons. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So what begins to block us from hearing God's voice is a mindset that says, I have it all covered. I can handle it. You do not realize that you're wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So if I don't know my condition before God, how can I repent of it? How can I begin to buy something that I don't need? So if I am to buy gold, and we're to understand from a number of scriptures that that gold is another symbol for faith. You remember the five wise and the five foolish virgins we spoke of. They had no oil, which was faith working by love. So, if I have no need, then I will not begin to step into a place where I must trust Jesus and begin to submit to him because I have it covered myself. I won't be concerned about the white clothes, which Revelation tells us are the righteous deeds of God's people. I'll have no interest in righteousness because I have my own righteousness. And I think I can see just fine, so I'll have no desire for the ointment that gives me eyes that see. So because of this outline of the Lord's own describing for us what causes him to not be heard as he knocks on the door, I'd like to go back now to the gospel that Paul begins to unfold for us in the first chapter of the book of Romans. For it's there that we find the key that causes the absence or the the emptiness of heart or the 
inability to hear the knock on the door. Here's the key. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Do you hear? This is describing a whole intellectual process of analyzing my situation. And as I analyze my situation, I walk more and more deeply into foolishness. I walk more and more into a dead end. I walk more and more into a a place of insanity where I cannot sort out the reality of my life. Why? Because Paul says, I have made a decision not to glorify God. Let's be clear about what it means to glorify God. To glorify God means that I grant to him his godhood. I grant to him a place of superiority over my life. I lift up my hands to him and say, you are God and I surrender to you. I will not be in charge of my life. I cannot be an owner, a controller of my wife or my children and at the same time glorify God. It's impossible. So, parents, have you given your children to Jesus? And children, have you given your parents to Jesus? Have you given everything to him? See, this is the issue. Have you given your boss to Jesus? Have you given over to the Lord? This is what says, I will not glorify you as God because I am God and I have my own realm that I'm in charge of. Now, there's a word in verse 18 that we need to go back to. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. What is this wrath? Wrath we usually think of in terms of destructive judgment. That's not what the word wrath means here. This is not speaking about the judgment at the end of time where there is fire and destruction. Wrath being spoken of here means the withdrawal of God from our heart. It means the absence of God from our heart. It means we cannot hear God speak to us and we cannot hear him knocking on the door of our heart. We cannot comprehend that. Instead, we lose all sense of our spiritual condition before God. And that's one of the reasons religion is so popular. Because with religion, I can establish man-made rules and I can begin to walk in my rituals and dress myself in these clothings of religiosity. And I then think I'm okay. And that takes the place of the Holy Spirit's 
knocking on my door, on the presence of Jesus in my, in my life. So when the wrath of God begins to be poured out on a person, because they have not been willing to surrender or submit any area to God. His wrath comes upon that person. And then the wrath immediately begins to be poured out as God in verse 24 gives them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Malice, their gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Well, what becomes very clear is that if I give myself over to anger, that is God's judgment on my life. If I give myself over to the sin of homosexuality or the sin of slander or the sin of bitterness, if I give myself the freedom to move into any of these, it is because God's judgment has come upon my life. The wrath of God is upon me. Why? Because I chose not to submit to him. I chose to stay in control of my own life. And because I chose to stay in control of my own life, God's wrath or God's withdrawal from my life occurred. Now, if you want God to come back into your heart and into your life, you don't accomplish that by fighting against and struggling against the lust of your heart or the bitterness of your heart or some other sin. That's law-keeping. Instead, you go back and surrender and submit to Jesus Christ. And then God begins to take these judgments off your heart. I was always puzzled. Why was it that suddenly... Anger was simply removed from my heart. For so many years, I struggled with anger. I would go into a rage of anger. You know, there are two kinds of anger that I've noticed. One is a a red rage, where my face would get red, and I'd be about to blow a, a cork. I mean, I'd had it. Frustrated. That's one kind of anger. But then I got into another kind of anger. And on me, it looked like a white anger. Everything drained out of my face. Absolutely calm. This is the end. 
and I'm ready to mow grass. And if anybody says one word to me, the atomic explosion that's going to result will level the playing field. I mean, the red anger, that's giving somebody a piece of your mind. But the rage anger. One day I was praying and it suddenly dawned on me. I hadn't been angry for a long, long time. And I began to pray and say, Lord, what happened to my anger? I used to work so hard on getting my anger under under control. I even in, in a psychotherapy group struggled with rage and anger. And of course, their solution was beat on the pillow. And all that did was make me madder. And then suddenly, I, I, I just, my mind opened and my consciousness opened. And I realized I hadn't been angry for a long time. The anger was gone. I did not overcome my anger. My anger was a judgment of God on my life. And he removed that judgment because of my submission to him. So in your heart tonight, do you have the judgment of God on your life? Do you have anger? Do you have bitterness? Do you have slander? Do you have jealousy? Do you feel like I'm not being treated right? Do you have lust in your heart? Are you lying and cheating, stealing? All of these things are the wrath of God on your life. They're the judgments of God upon you because you've chosen not to glorify the Lord God of heaven or to submit to him. That's what glory means. When I glorify God, I submit to him and say, you are God, I'm not. It's so much more pleasing to the human flesh to struggle for self-improvement. Okay, this month I'm going to work on this problem. Then the next month I'll work on this problem. And the next month I'll work on this problem. No, I'll work on my weight this month. I'll work on my depression the next month. I'll work on... Those are all judgments of God on my life. It's a judgment. It's a wrath of God. It's a, it's a separation between my heart and God's heart. And we've got to begin to understand what our condition is before God and understand that these things are not just faults that we can overcome, that we can work at. How many times I've had someone say to me, Pastor, I'm doing the best I can do. I'm working on that, Pastor. You know, I shouldn't have lost my temper. Pastor, I'm working on my temper. Well, part of what's happened at the National Prayer Chapel is we've spent a lot of time beating ourselves up over sin and not being able to get the victory over it. When all the time that sin was God's judgment on our life. And the problem is not the sin at all. The problem is not being willing to surrender our life to the Lord God of heaven.
Because when that surrender takes place, the judgment's removed. And suddenly we walk into freedom. But it's so much more comforting for our souls to struggle against a sin. Because as long as I can struggle against a sin and say, I'm not pleased that this is in my life, we're really saying, I'm better than that sin. I'm better than that. And I can do better than I'm doing. So I'm going to keep trying to do a better job. Just give me some slack here. What we're really saying is, I'm God. I just haven't gotten all the moves down yet. But it's Jesus through his shed blood that releases us from the captivity. It's Jesus who brings relief. As we submit to him, he lifts us up and he delivers us. So the freedom from the bondage is not achieved by fighting with the bondage. Freedom from the bondage is found as I submit to Jesus at the cross. And he lifts that thing off me. Now there's reason for praise. And Paul, as he went on through into the third chapter, made it very clear that there's not one of us that's righteous. We've all turned aside. There's not anything good in any of us. So to pretend that all I have to do is work harder to get this sin under control is to say, I'm okay inside. All I have to do is get that deal taken care of. And that's a lie. As long as I am not submitted to the Lord God of heaven, his wrath is upon me, he is separate from me, and I cannot hear his voice. And then he asks us to begin to take those steps of obedience that are places of abiding. John, the 15th chapter. Where he just very quietly says to us, would you give yourself to this? Would you begin to just lay that aside? Lay those cigarettes aside. You don't need them anymore. Lay that extra job aside. You don't need it anymore. And all we have to say is, okay. Yes, Lord. I'll do it. We don't even have to have the strength to do it. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I submit to you. Now, by your blood, I stand by faith that you will give me the power to do this. We stand by faith. And we're carried through. Now, this passage that we looked at earlier. James, the fourth chapter. I want to press this a little further. James, the fourth chapter, verse four. You adulterous people. Well, what does it mean when he says you adulterous people? He's not talking here about sexual adultery. He's saying that there is something out there that you give your soul to. Other than Jesus Christ. That's adultery. 
Because we've all accepted the cup of the engagement with Jesus Christ. We're not married to him yet, but we've accepted the cup. We're engaged. And so we say to Jesus, I belong to you. An adulterous person in that sense would be one who says, I'm going to take charge here. I'm not going to give you your glory, Jesus. I'm going to give myself glory. I'm going to be God here. And as soon as we've taken that course of action, we are, according to James, an adulterous person in our relationship with the Lord God of heaven. And that's what causes the wrath of God to come by his withdrawal from us. And he gives us over to judgments then. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? So he's saying, look, God is jealous for our love. It's been promised to him and now he wants what has been promised to him. But as long as I refuse to give him glory, as long as I refuse to submit in any area of my heart, his judgments will come upon me. And those judgments will be given over to sin, whatever that sin might be. And it will be ever-increasing sin. If you read a number of different places in the Old Testament, this struggle went on. I think of Abraham. He came to the Cana land in obedience to God. God spoke with him. But he comes and finds there's a famine there. So instead of talking with the Lord, instead of submitting himself to God, he heads to Egypt. And then God's judgment came on him in Egypt. He loses his wife. That was God's judgment on Abraham's life. He was maneuvering. And so the very person through whom God's richest promises were to be poured out, he loses. He casts away as though it were nothing for his survival. Verse 5, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intently, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. See, the devil always comes at the point of submission to God. That's always his key place, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Where did Satan interpose himself between God and Adam and Eve? God surely doesn't mean that you're going to die. He knows that the day you eat of this fruit, you're going to become wise. You're going to become like gods. And Eve says, well, it looks good. It sounds good. Give me some. 
She refused to submit herself and Adam refused to submit himself to the Lord God of heaven and the wrath of God fell on them. They were separated from God. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And now their place of provision is gone. Their place of significance is gone. They have to work and earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. And then we come into the New Testament and the word is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and all of these things will be given to you. That curse was broken at the cross of Jesus. So the question is, will I submit? If I will, the devil will flee. Come near to God. How do I come near to God? I submit to him. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's humbling to submit yourself to another person. And God is a person. And he's purposely removed himself from our vision. So we will not be submitting ourselves to him because he's so great and so terrifying. He wants to know what's in our heart. He doesn't want us to submit because we think we're going to be destroyed. He wants us to submit because we love him. He tried the loud thunder and lightning and trumpets on the Mount Sinai. Didn't work. All that happened is the people said, don't let God talk to us anymore. You talk to us, Moses. We're not afraid of you, Moses. Well, what God most wants with his people is face-to-face communication so he can talk with us. And he can't talk with us if we're not submitted to him. Then he goes further. Brothers, Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Or I would restate that. Who am I to judge my wife? Who are you to judge your husband? Who are you to judge your brother, sister in the church? This kind of judgment on a brother or a sister brings the wrath of God upon a heart. In fact, Can I be real straight? Slander is a judgment from God. Bitterness and anger toward a brother or sister in the church is a judgment of God that says, I have not yet submitted myself to Jesus Christ. My daughters used to say about me, 
Dad, you've got an elephant memory. What would they mean? I used to remember everything that was done to me. And if the appropriate time came, I knew how to get even. Even if they didn't know about it. You know what? Some of you know how to get even too. You know how to distance and how to separate and how to be superior. These are all judgments from God upon us. Because we have refused to surrender and submit to the cross of Jesus Christ. So how do we begin to get out of this trap that we find ourselves in? It's certainly not by fighting against the sin that appears before us. It has to be coming back, sitting in the presence of the Lord, and asking the Lord if he would begin to give us just those beginning steps once more to submit to him. And so he says... Come and sit with me and and spend an hour with me. That means I go and I spend that hour with him. Turn the cell phone off. Close the door. Not to be disturbed. I'm with the Lord. If he calls me to that, then that's where I need to be. Whatever place of abiding the Lord begins to call me to, it's to that place I step into. And as I step into that place, judgments from God are taken off my heart and off my life. If I don't step into that place of abiding, the judgments merely increase until finally I'll be destroyed by the judgments. Now, we're faced at the National Prayer Chapel with a a very serious issue. We have struggled in this house mightily against sin. And we've not been victorious. And when we did become a little victorious, we were apt to become proud. Or exhausted and say, okay, I've done as much as I can do, Pastor. Look, I've done as much as I can do. I've I've gone as far as I can go. Give me a break now. It's time for me to veg. We need to have a whole shift in our strategy. And that shift has to be toward the cross of Jesus Christ. It has to be taking our eyes off the sin that besets us and turning our eyes toward the cross of Jesus. And then asking him, where are you asking me to step into obedience? And I'll do that. Mighty God. It seems so simple. But it's so revolutionary. To know, Lord, that my bitterness and my anger are a judgment from you upon my life. And because of it, I can't hear your voice. Or any self-centeredness, Lord, 
any slander, any anything that wells up as a sin in my heart, I now know is a giving over by your spirit to that thing. And I'm asking, Lord, could we lay it all down? Lord, could we understand what it means to glorify your name? Could we know what it means to say thank you to you? Lord, all the feelings well up. All the sense of injustice wells up. And you're saying simply, submit to me and let it go. Lord, give us the courage tonight to do this. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I wonder tonight, is there anyone here who's struggling with a sin that you just can't seem to conquer? You've been fighting and you're weary. Your heart has that anger and bitterness or it has some judgment or it has something that you're just clutching on to and you haven't been able to let go of it. An accusation, a judgment, an expectation that someone will do something right. Lord, we've about made ourselves crazy with trying to figure everything out. And Lord, you've said that that only leads to more darkness. That it doesn't lead to light. Lord, you've said that all of these things that well up in our hearts, bitterness and anger and hardness, frustration, despair, that all these things are simply, you've given us over to the sin. Lord, tonight we come before you and we lift up our hands to your throne to say, Lord, we choose to glorify your name. The Lord, anything we've been holding on to, we give to you now. Especially trying harder. Lord, could you tonight bring us to the end of all of this foolishness? And don't let it destroy us. Have mercy, Lord, and remove these judgments from our hearts. As we lift up hands to you, Lord God. Let these judgments not take us into utter darkness. Let not these givings over, Lord God, lead us into utter darkness. But Lord, bring your light and your glory that we would submit unto you, Jesus, at the cross. Lord, have mercy on your people. Lord, you said to me out loud, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Lord, I don't want to be my own. I want to be yours. I choose, Lord Jesus, to belong to you. Now I ask that every wall of animosity, every bitterness of spirit, every lust of the flesh, be broken now in the name of Jesus. We submit to you, Jesus. We agree with you, Jesus. And we ask tonight to die with you on that cross. Would you bring us through? Doing whatever it takes to bring us through. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. When I look back on what I thought was living, I'm amazed at the price I chose to pay. And to think I ignored what really mattered. Cause I thought the sacrifice would be too great. When I finally reached the point of giving in, I found the cross was calling. Even then, and even though he took dying to survive, I never felt so much alive. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live, not I but Christ that lives. Within me, his cross will never ask for more than I can give. For it's not my strength, but his. There's no greater sacrifice. For I am crucified with Christ, and he. As I hear the Savior call for daily dying, I will bow beneath the weight of Calvary. Let my hand surrender to his piercing purpose that holds me to the cross yet sets me free. I will glory in the power of the cross. The things I thought would gain, I count as loss. And with his suffering, I identify. And by his resurrection, Paul, Crucified with Christ 
but Christ that lives within me. His cross will never ask for more than I can give. For it's not my strength, but His. There's no greater sacrifice. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. And I will offer all I have, so that His cross is not in vain. For I've come to live His Christ, and to die is truly gain. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Not I, but Christ that lives within me. His cross will never ask for more. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory with great joy.
present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big- 